they're all pilot projects in the FHWA's eyes until we actually develop that. We really haven't developed that specification yet because, um, as many of you have put these systems in your state know, it's actually a developing technology. We're finding out more and more as we go how these systems actually perform in the field. And it's quite challenging because they are very flexible systems. To date, uh, we're actually putting a cable barrier on primarily our limited access facilities, trying to lower our uh, median crossover incident uh, fatality rate. There is one project that we've approved for them not being in the median, but actually being in the shoulders. And uh, we're also looking at uh, erecting, uh, I think, over 50 miles of uh, canal protection along the turnpike. I think that project is active as we speak. For those of you who are unfamiliar with cable barrier that sells a real short course in cable barrier, there are two types of systems essentially, high and low tension. This is a picture of a low tension system. They, all, they look pretty much alike, but you can see these cables are not real taut. They're just more or less pulled tight and anchored into the ground. Uh, when you see them, you'll know it's a low tension because there is some cantonary effect between the posts. Uh, these systems, uh, when they're run into, they lie down flat, but they are very effective. Uh, you do end up with more, uh, if you will, deviation of the vehicles. And the one thing that, uh, to their detriment, is when they're down, they're down until you repair them. Uh, this is a picture of a high-tension system. You can see the uh, cables are very taut. They're actually uh, post-tensioned in the field into the ground anchors themselves. Uh, the tension is regulated by turnbuckles that are intermediate uh, between the posts. And when these systems are hit, they, uh, the wires stay up, so you can take secondary impacts before you get out there and actually uh, replace the posts. Because of the tension in the wires also, you get smaller deflections of the vehicles when they run into them. So that's another benefit of them. Uh, there are two types of cables you can use in, in these systems, especially the high-tension system. They're pre-stretched and the non-pre-stretched. And essentially, it's just whether the cable, the, um, the twisting of the wires and the strands in the cable has been taken out at the factory or not. And of course, uh, those of you who put them in, you'll know that they're all proprietary systems. We're trying to develop a non-proprietary system, a, a standard, if you will. And there are five manufacturers of these. And all these systems have uh, in common in their uh, patents, at least, are the unique posts that are actually used to hold the cables up. In Florida, we uh, do not restrict the use of which system to put on your, uh, your median. Uh, you, all five systems have been bid in Florida, uh, much to the uh, chagrin of the maintenance department, I think, at times, because we have to stock all those different posts in the districts. Uh, finally, uh, they have to be NCHRP 350 compliant. And this is probably the biggest challenge of cable uh, barrier systems, because NCHRP 350 was originally um, put together as a test uh, or has criteria for testing of rigid and semi-rigid or guardrail type applications. It was never meant for cable barrier, but when the products came to the United States, what we had on the shelf, so we pulled it off, and there have been problems with that that we'll get to later. In Florida, we've, uh, these are the uh, six projects where we've actually got median barrier installed. It's about 70 miles uh, in total in about seven counties. 
The first was down in Dade County at the uh, very southern end of the Florida Turnpike uh, between Miami and Homestead, where we initially installed six uh, miles of cable barrier from three different manufacturers. That was a lump sum project that also included guardrails, so we didn't get a lot of good cost information out of it, unfortunately. We're also, as I said, installing about 53 miles of uh, a cable barrier in the shoulders of the uh, turnpike. The turnpike itself was, in a lot of the southern Florida counties, was actually constructed from embankment that we got off the side of the roadway. And since that's a very low portion of Florida, when you dig the, the dirt out, you get water in. So we have a lot of linear canals along the turnpike that have to be protected. And so a total of about 123 miles are going to be in the system uh, by the end of this year. Uh, this is a graph we just put together. Uh, it shows uh, for the seven counties where we do have cable barrier what the safety record is. If you look at the blue line, you'll see that there was an increasing trend from 2004 to 2005 from 41 to 46 uh, uh, fatalities and injuries related strictly to crossover incidents in the median. And then uh, between 05 and 06, there was a decrease in that, uh, that injury and fatality rate down to 12. And recently, we've gone up again. Uh, the red line actually shows the installation by miles of cable barrier. We had none in 2004. And by 2007, we're up to about uh, 70 miles at the end of that year. Uh, this is not. The trend between 05 and 06 can't be just to, to the installation of about 22 miles of cable barrier. Florida has taken median crossover crashes uh, very seriously, and we've actually had three programs to reduce those fatalities. The first one was uh, put in in the late 90s, where we decided that any time we had a median less than 64 feet wide, uh, we would put up guardrail in that median. Then we were still having a lot of uh, crossover incidents and fatalities and injuries, so we decided to take another look and see, well, where are the rest of these happening? And that study found that 80% uh, of the other crossover crashes and, that we were having were within one mile of a ramp termini and an interchange. So now we have another policy that you put up guardrail anytime uh, you have one crossover fatality in an interchange and those uh, uh, guardrail are put up about a mile from the ramp termini. And then finally, we're putting in cable barrier where we don't have that big of an incident rate, but we do have a history. Uh, the uptick that you see here from 12 uh, injuries and fatalities in 06 to 28 and 07, uh, we're still trying to study that and figure out what's, uh, what's happening there. So that hasn't really been looked at that closely. But again, it's... Uh, we do see that we are approximately uh, close to half the fatalities and injuries that we had in 05 uh, at this rate in 07 going forward to 08. We do have a developmental specification. Uh, the, it's at the website listed at the top of that uh, slide there. And this developmental specification was just to help standardize with the construction of these systems uh, because uh, most of the manufacturers uh, typically have their own very detailed installation procedures, but we wanted to standardize some of it 
so that the uh, contractors are all bidding on more or less a level playing field. This specification includes a lot of uh, very basic rudimentary things such as we like the high tension cable systems. One of the five proprietary systems that are out there needs to be bid. Secondly, it has to be NCHRP TL3 uh, approved. There has to be an FHWA letter for that system that says it can be built using TL3 criteria, which is essentially it can stop a small passenger car or a light pickup truck going 60 miles an hour, hitting it between 15 and 25 degrees. Uh, again, we like the pre-stretched cable. Uh, there's not a whole lot of data out there on whether the little extra cost you pay for pre-stretching is really worth it or not, but that's the way most of the states are going, so that's the way we're going. And each of those cables is actually three strands uh, of seven wires each, and they are galvanized. Uh, we also specify in our developmental specification the type of soil that the anchorage systems have to be designed for, and it's pretty crummy stuff. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, uh, failures of the end anchors that you'll see uh, later in installations where we put these uh, end terminals off of the uh, improved section, off the shoulder. Uh, they're pulling out of the uh, soil just due to the to cable tension themselves. So we've specified that they have to be designed for our weakest soils, our weakest saturated soils, actually. Because, again, when you look at NCHRP 350, they're testing all this at a test track in Texas or Nebraska or somewhere because it isn't Florida. Their soils out there at the test track are a lot different than ours. Typically, they're not saturated. So that's one of the big problems with relying on an NCHRP 350 test and just banking on that to be a guarantee of its safety. We're also specifying the ultimate force of those cables at the end anchor so that, again, we're trying to level, level the playing field, the design of those end anchors. We want everybody to be using the same numbers. So we're specifying the static force that those end anchors have to be designed for. The foundations. This was a, this was a difficult decision to make. Uh, we're specifying our typical drill shaft concrete in these end anchorage uh, zones and the terminal and the uh, posts themselves. Uh, typically, these foundations can go in Florida around uh, between 10 and 15 feet deep in the ramp terminals or the uh, cable terminals. And for the posts, they go down about four feet. So a lot of times, this is uh, you'll end up in a saturated condition. If you just dump normal uh, class one concrete in there, you'll get aggregate segregation and you'll end up with a very bad concrete. Again, this whole system relies on the fact that the, the posts are actually going to yield over. Your post foundations will remain integral with the soil, so we don't want those post foundations to fail. So it, although it is a drill shaft concrete, we backed off on the testing for that concrete in the field, so it's not as, as strict as a structural drill shaft under a bridge or under a sign. We just want the concrete and the cement paste to stay together. That's the reason for that specification. And finally, we don't, do not allow driven posts. They must have the concrete socket. We also don't allow the metal socket to be just driven in the ground and the post inserted into it. We want the concrete foundation. Finally, uh, we, this was a real sticky wicket here. Uh, in the, a lot of the bidding, the post uh, spacing was varying widely. We're saying the minimum post spacing, or rather the maximum is 16 feet can't go any, any uh, 
further than that. The posts have to be galvanized steel as well. Uh, we also have a mow strip, so it's a maintenance-friendly installation. They don't have to be trimming around all these posts. Typically, it's asphalt, uh, two inches thick by three feet wide. And as far as payment, uh, this has varied a little bit. We're trying to get a handle on costs now, but up to at this point, for our design bid build contracts, it has been per linear foot, including everything. To help out the designers, we also issued a design bulletin, which covered the design aspects of this so that uh, the people who are actually doing the plans for the contractors to bid on had a little more information because this is new technology for the uh, engineers here in Florida. Typically, we want a, that's interesting, we want a uh, length of run of at least 1,000 feet. As far as placement, uh, this, is, this is an ongoing uh, study with the NCH NCHRP 2225. Uh, we want the, uh, the line of post to be no closer than 12 feet from the travel lane. And we do not want them uh, any closer than 8 feet from the center line of the ditch. Uh, these two criteria are based on uh, if you're having a hit from the opposite side, from the opposite direction of where the cable barrier is mounted, that the car will not stray into the opposing lane because typically we want a, uh, a lateral deflection of about 8 feet is what we're trying to design these systems for. So that gives us some factor of safety of about 50% of it wandering into the opposing lane. Uh, typically we don't want it within eight feet of the center line of the ditch because a lot of the uh, bigger cars uh, suspension systems are very soft and when they hit the bottom of the ditch they could either go underneath the bottom cable or um, actually uh, not engage the bumper at least which is what the design is all based on. And finally we do not really want to put these any on any slopes greater than one on six that's typically what the NCHRP tests are being done on, and that is our typical slope, side slope on FDOT uh, roadway shoulders. Deflection again, eight foot max. Our bulletin also says that we have to do uh, uh, 20 foot deep borings where there's going to be the terminals are going to be installed. We also um, want the engineers to actually go out on site and between uh, the ramp, the end terminals actually walk it to make sure all the post foundations are also going to be in soil, not water. Finally, we've had a few challenges, bidding practices. Uh, there's been some things going on in the bid, even though this is technically a, a something that the contractors actually receive bids on from the manufacturers themselves. Uh, some of them come in way late, and since they know what everybody else is doing, they'll, they have been increasing the post spacing. So with the developmental spec, hopefully we're getting away from that. Maintenance costs, uh, that's something we're looking at very carefully. We're, we've charged our maintenance offices to start tracking this a little more closely. Um, right now they're not tracking it that closely, but we want to make sure that the long-term cost of cable barriers indeed as uh, uh, it's competitive with guardrail, but again, the two systems are not anywhere near equivalent. Cable barrier itself is a much safer system than guardrail because it actually cushions the car and the driver, reducing their internal injuries. It might not look like it does much for the car, but inside the person's body, because they are cushioned by the deceleration in the cable, 
uh, it is much less internal injuries. Finally, here's some pictures of what poor soil uh, will do to your end anchors. It literally pulls it out of the ground. We think, uh, our, and again, notice this is off in the shoulder. So this is uh, what we've attempted to uh, mitigate with our specifying what soil properties these end terminals have to be designed for. And finally, a very peculiar thing that we've looked, we found recently. This is one of the manufacturer's uh, in, uh, posts, and it's a C-shaped cross-section. If you look down from the top of it, and it's got this um, loop that actually slides up and down into the uh, open part of that C, which positions the cables. But that leaves this slot pretty much open at the bottom of the uh, post, which uh, stinging insects like to build hives in there. So what's happened in a few instances, uh, some of these posts have gone down and the occupants or the emergency service providers have gotten stung because they've agitated these insects. But uh, the, from what we found, these uh, nests don't last very long because this system does not have a top on the, on the post. So there, rain gets in there and lizards also get in there so the nests don't really get that big. But any place where you've got an arid, humid environment, this will be a problem. So this is uh, really our experience with cable barriers so far. Uh, again, it's a supplement for us in median applications. We've pretty much put up a lot of guardrail. Any of you who have driven down have seen. Uh, it is going to be our primary strategy for water body protection, especially along the Florida Turnpike. Uh, in our opinion, implementation is slightly ahead of research because we do know that it saves lives but we're still having studies on what's the most efficient place to put it within the cross-section. And again, uh, we are finding demonstrably, all things aside, that it does save, save lives. And that's the presentation, and we'll just hold questions till the end. Thank you. Thank you, David. In this job, I quickly became a fan of Cable Barrier because in my legal life, I was in charge of doing claims, and we go after people who destroy guardrail and Cable Barrier and whatever else um, to get them to pay for it. And so we look into the cost of everything, and it's easier to get people to pay when they cost less, but it's also more effective. And when I saw real time of how quickly they could put it back up as compared to putting up a section of guardrail, I was pretty much sold. 